This podcast is brought to you by Dingle Mount Church. It will open up God's Word to you, inspire you to love God, and grow in the knowledge of Him, and challenge you to live a victorious Christian life. Be blessed as you listen. a Bible with you this morning because uh, we're going to, to need it. I'm, I'm one of these um, old-fashioned guys that actually likes the Bible and to read it. Uh, of course, we can all quote it, but it's good to actually have it uh, read. I wonder if anybody here actually plays golf. Has anyone ever played golf? No? Oh, that's wonderful. So you won't be able to correct me when I make mistakes talking about golf. Um, I don't know if anybody watched the, the Open up at Birkdale uh, two or three months ago. The, 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 whatever it's called, the Open Golf Tournament was at uh, Royal Birkdale. Uh, sort of whatever, half an hour, 40 minutes drive up towards Southport. As I was watching bits of this, I just felt the Lord impress upon me certain aspects of the game of golf that relate to our walk with God. Now, I know you're probably thinking, what on earth has golf got to do with our Christian walk? Well, I was kind of thinking that, and as I kind of got my Bible and started to read a few things and listen to what the Holy Spirit was saying, I thought, wow, there's an awful lot in the game of golf that is like our walk with God. And this morning, over the next uh, 20 minutes, 25 minutes or so, I just want to give you five brief points on how the game of golf relates to our Christian walk. Number one, if you're taking notes, is your stance. How you stand is important. Let's just start with the scripture in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13. It says, Wherefore take unto you the whole armour of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. Verse 14. Stand therefore. So we're ending verse 13 with the word stand. And we're starting verse 14 with the word stand. And as I was watching these golfers, it was so important how they got their feet positioned. They couldn't be too close to the ball. They couldn't be too far away from the ball. They just had to get right and they would shift the weight. And interestingly, on the soles of the the golf shoes, they have little spikes. And these spikes, kind of, as they stand, they go into the ground so that the golfer can't slip. So when he's picking up his club and and, and hitting the ball, you know, he doesn't lose his footing and the ball go every which way other than the way he wants it to go. And it was interesting reading in Ephesians chapter 6 when... The Apostle Paul here is mentioning about standing, and he's talking about the whole armour of God. There's a lot of parallels here to the armour that the Roman soldiers would wear. And as I was studying this, the Roman soldier would have different types of footwear depending on the terrain. You know, that they could have uh, hobnail boots with, you know, iron at the, the bottom, and it, it sounds awful, but, you know, when they were going into battle, They would use these, if someone was dying, they would just use these hobnail boots and stand on them to to kill them. Others, you know, if they were on grass, they would have 
inch-long spikes. And as they marched, they would march sort of like this. And then when they formed their ranks, what they would do, they would come to attention and they would stamp their feet into the soft ground and they get their shields and their spears at the ready so that when the enemy attacked them, they couldn't be moved back. They were really, really in a strong stance. A little bit like you've watched rugby uh, and when they're all in the rugby scrum and they put their, their feet in to stop them from going backwards and they're leaning forward. This is what the Roman soldiers would do. And so when the Apostle Paul says to stand and to stand firm, he is saying, Make sure you put your feet in the right position. Get your balance right. Get your weight right. And this is exactly what the golfer does. He, you know, he doesn't just get the club and walk up to the ball and just whack it. No, he, he gets that right distance and he holds it and, and he's shifting his weight to make sure that he's in that perfect position to start. Because if you're not in the perfect position to start, everything else goes wrong. Have you ever seen a little child when they try and do their shirt buttons and, and instead of getting the top button, it's the next button. And then the second button is the third and the third should be the fourth. And, and when they get to the end, they've got a button missing. And oh no, they have to start all over again. You know, if you get the first thing wrong, everything else is wrong afterwards. But if you get the first thing right, everything that follows is right. And this is why our stance is so important. And the Apostle Paul says, stand. He tells us to stand. Let's have a look at Psalm 116. Psalm 116. Psalm 116 and verse 8 says this. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from When we stand upon the rock, Jesus Christ, our feet won't fall. We will be in that right position to start. Number two, your golf club and your grip upon that club. That is so important. You know, it's not a case of one golf club fits all. You know, I I don't know much about golf, but... When I was looking, when they start off, they have this big heavy uh, 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 golf club and they they swing it and the weight of it just knocks that ball sort of 100, 200 yards or whatever. But when they're one or two feet away from the hole, they don't give it a good whack. They have a smaller, lighter golf club just to give it a little tap so it moves that one or two feet. And likewise with the scriptures, it's not a case of one scripture fits all. We have to know what scripture to use at different times. If the devil is attacking you in the area of your health, you can't just quote any old scripture in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. No, we need to speak out and say, by the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. We need to have an appropriate scripture to counter the attack that's coming against us. We know in the natural that that's the right thing to do. You know, if you are sick in your body and you go to the doctor... The doctor gives you a specific medicine. If you have a problem with your ear, he will give you eardrops or something. The doctor doesn't say, oh yes, here's some uh, muscle cream, just rub that on your leg if you've got an ear problem. No, he gives you a specific medicine for the specific problem 
you have. And likewise, there are specific scriptures for specific problems that we have. But as we mature in God, as we walk with God, as we read our Bibles, we need to know what scripture is the right scripture for each appropriate time in our lives. If our children are playing up, or you've got a problem in your marriage, or a problem in your finances, you can't just quote any old scripture and say, God loves me. You've got to quote that right scripture. I'm a tither, I'm a giver. In Jesus' name, your word says, give and it shall be given unto you. We need to quote the right scripture. But that means we need to have a grip on our Bible. Just as the golfer has a, a right grip on his club. I was watching them. When it, for different things, they have different grips. The way the fingers interlock and, and they don't just hold it at the top. They'll hold it at different places to control depending on what type of shot that they are playing. And likewise, we need to have a grip on the Bible. I'm talking a physical grip as well. You know, we need to hold this. We need to turn the pages. And we need to read this every single day. Because the kind of grip that we have on the Bible helps to determine the kind of grip that we have in life. And also the kind of grip that the devil can have on us. Because if we're spending time in the Word of God, we become strong in Him. I wonder what our grip is like on the Bible. Do we grip it every day? Do we read the Scriptures? Do we have a cursory glance? Do we get our every day with Jesus and look at it and say, Oh yeah, Psalm 23, I know that one. I won't bother reading that. I can quote it. I can remember it. Or do we actually sit down and spend time with the Lord? We need to know our Bible and how to use it. So, so important. I teach in, uh, in a Bible school up in Southport um, every so often as a guest lecturer. And one of the things I keep saying to the students is the most important thing you need to do is get your Bible and bring your notepad. Because there's so much in there that you will forget, so write it down. Number three. We need to keep our eyes on the prize. When a golfer is making his shot, he looks at the ball and then he looks at where he wants the ball to go. He isn't distracted by anything. Oh, look at those clouds, aren't they wonderful? It's a lovely sunny day. It's been raining. Look at that rainbow. Oh, look at the geese flying. Aren't they wonderful? No, he allows nothing to distract him. He has his eyes fixed, he's standing, he's got a good grip, he's looking at where he wants that ball to go. And it's so, so important to keep our eyes on the prize. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians and chapter 9. I want to get through this really quickly, there's some good stuff in here. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you know the word prize is only mentioned twice in the Bible in the New Testament. And the Apostle Paul mentions it in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24. He says, Know ye not that they which run in a race all run, but one receiveth the prize, so run ye that ye may obtain. Paul tells us to run that we can obtain the prize. And one more scripture in Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 14. 
Paul says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now this word prize in the Greek language is a very interesting word. It is a prize that is specifically given at a public performance. For example, the Olympic Games. It's not just a prize that you win a raffle or something. It's something that you achieve in public and that you get in public. And it's so important to understand that. That they keep their eyes on the prize. I was watching uh, a sportsman. And they were talking about how focused they were. That eye was always on the prize. And this guy, an Englishman, he, he won gold in Rio in 2016. But in London in 2012, he came nowhere. And he said he was so disappointed not to do well, not to get a medal. He said for four years, he rehearsed winning his race at the Olympics final. He rehearsed standing up on the platform. He rehearsed getting the gold medal around his neck. He had a photograph, one of these Photoshop things of him winning with a gold medal. And when he got up in the morning at five o'clock in the middle of January, when it's icy and cold and he went out for a run, he kept his eyes on the prize, that Photoshop of him on the podium at the Olympics in Rio with the gold medal around his neck every day. Up at five o'clock, running, come back, breakfast, rest, in the gym, etc., etc. He didn't focus on anything. He focused, he kept his eyes on the prize. Do you know what? I can't remember his name now. His name's just gone. But he was actually in Rio, and he won the gold medal for Great Britain. Isn't that interesting? You see, that's an example of being focused. Rehearsing the win. How many times in life, do we go through bad situations? You've got a dental appointment. Oh, I know what's going to happen. The dentist is going to say this. I'm going to have to have a tooth out. I'm going to have to have a filling. It's going to be painful. It's going to be awful. And we focus on the negative so much. How many times you go for a job interview or whatever it happens to be. And you know, oh, no, am I going to be good enough? I don't know if I'm going to be good enough for this or for that. And we focus on the negative rather than focusing on the prize, keeping our eyes on the prize. And this is exactly what you need to do to be focused. So many athletes who have won. I was watching an interview with uh, Mo Farah on the TV recently, just before he retired from international competition. And he was saying exactly the same thing, that every morning when he got up, he knew that his training was to win the medal. He didn't just train to make up the numbers. He trained and was saying to himself, I'm a winner, I'm a winner, I'm a winner. I am going to win. So important, friends, to keep our eyes on the prize. Number four. In every game of golf, there are bunkers and pools of water that will hinder your forward progress. How many times have you seen somebody hit a shot and the ball ends up in, in the sand or in the water? Um, again, watching the, the golf up at Royal Birkdale, I saw on the TV one guy and the, the ball just went at the edge of the water, just about, about six inches, one foot deep. And he could see it, but he couldn't get to it. So he had to 
roll up his trousers, take his shoe and sock off, just one of them. One foot was on solid ground and the other foot was in the water. And he got his club and somehow he managed to hit the ball and the ball just about trickled over the edge onto the grass. But these bunkers and these ponds, they hinder your forward progress. And this is what the devil wants to do. He wants to hinder our forward progress. He puts these sand bunkers, these pools in our path to try and take us away. Has anyone ever read Pilgrim's Progress? And when Pilgrim is on that route, there are many things that kind of take his eye and he, he will follow and he'll go the wrong way. And his journey is, is staggered. And then eventually when he realizes what he's got on his back and he's going the wrong way, he gets back on the right track, gets rid of the baggage, and then his journey forward with God is so, so much easier. And friends, when we get rid of our baggage, when we keep our eyes on the prize, now of course we need to be aware of the bunkers. You know, a golfer is aware that there's sand and that there's water, but he doesn't focus on them. Because in the middle of the sand and in the middle of the water, there's the flag where the hole is. And when his eyes are focused on the prize, his skill and ability helps him to get the ball right over towards the flag, towards the hole. Yes, he's aware of them, but he doesn't focus upon them. Another thing I noticed is that in the game of golf, the closer you get to the hole, the more the bunkers and the more the sand. You know, when you hit it first, you normally hit it maybe 100, 200, whatever yards. And so there's no bunkers and sand close to where you start. But near the, near the end, where the hole is, that's where the sand is. That's where the main obstacles are. Have you ever noticed that when you're doing something for God, it seems that the closer you get to your destination, the harder the devil fights to stop you getting there. I think of Mark chapter 4 and how... Uh, Jesus said to the disciples, let us go to the other side. Now Jesus knew that there was the guy that we call the Gadarene demoniac, who he was going to deliver from all of these legion of demons. And Jesus said, let's get into the boat and we'll go to the other side. And he says, as they were going through, as they were well into their journey, more than halfway, then this great storm arose. You see, they were too far into the journey to turn back. The storm didn't arise when they were standing on the shore. The storm didn't arise as they had just set up. But as they're going forward on their journey, well into their journey, close to the destination, that's when the storm came and tried to hinder their forward progress. Because the devil knew if he could stop Jesus getting to the other side, then that man wouldn't have all of the demons cast out of him and he would have a demonic influence in his area. But now, when Jesus gets through, he will have a godly influence. So important that we avoid the bunkers, that we avoid the ponds. Finally, number five. In a game of golf, your backswing and your follow-through are so important. And uh, one of the, the commentators was are giving a little golf lesson. And they were saying that when you get your stance right, you've got your focus right, you've got your grip right, you know what you're doing. He said that your backswing 
is what generates the power. But your follow-through is what you actually see. See, your backswing, you've got all the power in your shoulders and waist and arms, and then you hit it, but then your follow-through should be a mirror image. So as you go this way, your follow-through is a mirror image. It should be exactly the same rotation that you have. If you get the backswing right, the ball will go as far and as accurately as you can possibly hit it. Let's have a look in the Bible at a few examples of this. And of course, we're talking about prayer here as our backswing. Let's have a look at a couple of examples. First of all, Mark chapter 1. And this is Jesus. Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. That's Jesus' backswing. Alone with God, praying. Let's see what the follow-through looks like. Verse 39 to 42. And he, that's Jesus, preached in their synagogues throughout Galilee and cast out devils. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. That's the follow Let's have a look at One final example. This is in Luke chapter 5. Let's have a look at the uh, backswing and the follow through of Jesus. Luke chapter 5 and verse 16. And Jesus withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. Backswing. Verse 17. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. That's the follow-through. Backswing, follow-through. Prayer life, wonderful miracles happening. Great things happening. Not much of a backswing, not much. You know, when a, if a golfer is getting... A foot or so away from the final hole, the 18th hole, he wants to sink that ball into the hole. He doesn't get the big club and have a huge backswing then and then, just whack it for 100 or 200 yards. No, he just has a little tap. And that's all that's needed. But to get going, you need to have that right backswing. And our backswing is the time we spend in prayer. Our backswing is the time that we spend studying the Bible. The time that we spend praising God. This time that we have in fellowship with each other. You know, if your backswing is just a couple of minutes every day, you can't expect the ball to go far. Yeah? So to speak. You understand what I'm saying. But if you have a good backswing, the ball will go far. Luke chapter 11. We'll finish with just one scripture. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. And it came to pass that as he was praying, this is Jesus again, in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, 
as John also taught his disciples. I like that. Lord, teach us to pray. Now, John was already teaching people how to pray. The disciples of Jesus said, Lord, teach us how to pray. They didn't say, Lord, teach us how to raise the dead. Lord, teach us how to open the blind eyes. Lord, teach us how to make water into wine. Lord, teach us how to make the, 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 the unhealthy healthy, etc., etc. No, it was, Lord, teach us how to pray. Why? Because the disciples knew that everything that Jesus did was as a result of his prayer life. Was as a result of his backswing. If your backswing is right, your follow through is going to be right, and your ball is going to go straight, and it's going to go to your destination. And likewise, if we get our backswing right, if we get our prayer life right, if we get our Bible study time right, if we get our fellowship right, if we get our times of praising God right, then our direction, our walk with God will be wonderful. We will be able to avoid the pitfalls of life. We'll be able to avoid the the, the sand bunkers and the war town and just go forward with God. So it's important to get our backswing right. Get your backswing right. Have a good grip. A good stance. Eyes on the prize. Aware of the problems, but still focusing on where it is that God wants you to go. If we can get all of this right, then our walk with God, our walk with God will be phenomenal. And we will see wonderful things happen in our lives. So let's play golf. Let's get our backswing right, our grip right, etc., etc. And then we'll have a wonderful walk with God. But you know, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, if you're here today as a visitor, you know, you can't play golf unless you join a golf club. (laughs) They don't just allow anybody to wander in off the street. You have to become a member. And you know, you have to become a member of God's family. God's golf club, if you like, in order to get into heaven. Now, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to speak to you after this service. I'm due to finish in just one or two minutes and I'll hand back to Pastor. Please come and speak to me. Say, Paul, I don't know Jesus, but I'd like to make him my Lord and Savior. I'd be happy to talk with you and I'd be happy to pray with you. Let's just bow our heads in a quick word of prayer before I hand back to Pastor. Father God, I thank you for the word that you put upon my heart this morning. I thank you, Lord God, that you desire us to have that right walk with you. And Father, to do that, we need to stand right, we need to walk right, we need to hold our Bible right, we need to pray right, we need to be with the right people. Father, help us to remember this message. Father, let this message be a little seed that's planted in our hearts that will grow and produce much fruit, that we may be strong and focused in our walk with you every day of our lives. I ask this in Jesus' name. If you have enjoyed listening to this podcast, why not join us in worship at the Dingle Mount Church or log on to our website at www.dinglemount.org for more information. Thank you for listening.